0: I suck and no one cares.
1: <laughs> like, just embrace that. And that. Like, let that be freedom. Like, I suck and no one cares. Good. Then I could just go and, and practice this. And if I don't think anyone's listening, what's the risk?
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new and live episode of the CVO Live. I'm here with Kurt Elster, one of the best voices in the Shopify ecosystem. Hello, Kurt, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, man. What's going on in the e-commerce? Tell us how how do you see the world u- unfolding? What's what's new and what's exciting?
1: Good question. I, in May, I was thinking about myself, like, "Oh, things are slowing down." And then this month, you know, four weeks later, suddenly uh, everything's trending way up and exploding again. Like every time I think, "Okay, maybe there's a slowdown," yeah, it just picks right back up again. It's like everything just wants wants to normalize and just continue on that same steady trend line that it that it's been on. And I've seen economists and and folks smarter than myself graph this stuff. It's incredible that just like that yeah. e-commerce adoption rate and spending always seems to work its way back to one steady point.
0: Yeah. So, Kurt, Kurt I, I want to ask you something which is really, really important for the direct to consumer companies. Do you think that owning only an e-commerce channel is going to be possible in a few years from now? Or do you feel like this uh, synergy between uh, bricks and mortar and uh, online is going to be way more, way more present?
1: I think retail certainly the of course the answer is it depends. And I think retail is a, a nice to have, but you know, you don't necessarily have to open your own retail shop. You know using wholesale um, you know getting into other people's retail stores is an, an easy way to establish it. But that's always been the people have returned to shopping in person, but I don't know that it'll ever be the same. I think our e-commerce adoption rate will continue to accelerate. Um, but certainly I would not I would not ever say like oh well that thing that's not cool so we just should, shouldn't sell that way anymore L- meet people where they are some people are going to want to shop in person some are going to want to not talk to anyone ever and shop exclusively online some want to buy direct some want to buy from marketplaces and that's the beauty of the democratization of these tools of how accessible uh, many of these, these integrations and um, marketplaces have become so you could go to where your customers are. I don't know. It's about eyeballs and impressions. You know, yeah. if you can access that audience, why would you turn that opportunity down?
0: Exactly. And the unit economics are, are are not on your side if you completely disregard the fact that you might have a product which can be, which can be sold through through other distribution channels. Uh, because I mean, there are there are there was this school of thought that e-commerce in itself it's a business model now. What's your opinion on that? Is it a business model or is a channel of a business that can start with the e-commerce? I think e-commerce purely
1: as a business model is probably something that, you know, at this point only applies to, say, uh, purely digital goods, whether that's virtual, like a membership, or, you know, you're selling a a course um, or some other informational product. Like in that instance, but I don't know, the idea of like e-commerce is a business model seems silly and seems like a limiting belief to me like it is one tool of many and e-commerce itself is accessible it has a much lower barrier to entry than a lot of other business models and so i think there's an advantage in being able to get into being able to access and use e-commerce tools but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that that's a business model in itself i think because people start there because it's exciting because it's it has a there's a bunch of wonderful properties of it, like you know, being able to to track dollars spent more easily than say versus in-store. Um, you know, that it's probably just born out of fear that people are like, well, that's the business model, we should do only that and you know, turn our nose up at everything else. That's silly.
0: That's right. So, Kurt, I want to ask you something uh, about your past. You you sure. everyone knows about you. I mean, you're you're one of the uh, heavy hitters in the e-commerce and Shopify space. But tell us how you've got into this arena in the in the very beginning.
1: So I, my my entrance to eBay, or eBay, my entrance to e-commerce was eBay. I sold Furbies many years ago. And I wasn't even old enough to be selling on eBay at the time. I was like 15. Um, but, you know, like a lot of, th- like still today, you know, there's that like rare item that someone can't get. And so I engaged in retail arbitrage early on. And this is like before PayPal, you had to send a money order uh, to make a purchase on eBay. And so that's how I was doing I was going around to stores to try and find uh, Furbies and then I would sell them on eBay. Um, But once once I had that experience, I had that taste of selling online is an easy and approachable way to transactions. Wow, suddenly that was in my head. And then years later, I had skills and I was a photographer. This is like pre-Figma. I had learned Photoshop. Well, once I knew Photoshop I ha- and I knew eBay, I kind of had like the tools in my head to get started with web design and then move into e-commerce. And so I, I taught myself usability, UI, UX. Um, and we started an agency. Like I tried to build an e-commerce platform. It turns out that's really hard, Right. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I tried to build an e-commerce platform. Couldn't do it, but started selling websites. And within like two years of that, right, Shopify is just coming out in like 2011. And a friend of mine who owned a bike shop in Chicago said, I want a new website. I want to sell online. And all I care about is make it easy. It just has to be easy. I hate my website. They hated their platform. I said, I heard about this thing called Shopify. Let's try it. And again, like not knowing what I don't know, I just go into it and decide to just design a Shopify theme. I'd never done that before, but we figured it out. We built it. And they, not long after that, they reached out and said, hey, you built a custom theme. You should join the Shopify experts program, be a Shopify partner officially. And I said, well, we'll see where this goes. And the first lead I got through it was banded dudes golf course in um, Oregon. That's a big deal if you're into golf. Um, And so from there, it just, uh, we started talking about it. We started sharing the experience because it was all new for us. You know, and I liked content marketing. I knew I needed. We called it. Um, it's called. I think it was called inbound marketing at the time. Yeah. Now yeah. it's content marketing. And so I'm like, well, I'll just produce content around it. But I didn't really know how to do that either. You know, it was just me like yelling into the void with a thirty dollar USB microphone in like the most echoey room I could find, right? Yeah. Um, and started publishing, and you know, you get a podcast, it gets like forty downloads. I think the first one got like sixty downloads, and the next one gets a hundred. And then maybe the next week gets 200. We're like, well, there's something here. Right. And so I said, well, what, let's just, let's just try this. Let's stick to this. Let's just keep going. Let's we're going to publish a podcast a week about what we're doing. We're going to talk to interesting people because this gives us something of value to offer them. And we're going to keep building and grow with the platform. And like the Shopify partners program was really supportive uh, of us and never once questioned the name of the podcast, which was always I was always waiting for them to tell me like, quit it. Yeah. You know? Um <laughs> but they didn't. You know, they saw the value in it. And they they let me they let me get away with it, I think is the way the way I look at it. And I'm grateful for it. But I think the the lesson there is, you know, when we were starting, like I was broke. You know, I made it's like paying myself 20 grand a year, then 30 grand a year. And that but it just kept going. And when you could keep and you know, I was eating ramen um, I had roommates, you know, the whole bit. Um, but once you start, I think the the key there was consistency. Because when I started, I had no experience. I wasn't good at it, right? I knew enough to be better than a few people. Uh, but when you keep doing something, it's like every six months I look back and go, wow, I think I figured this out. And then six months after that, oh, I think I figured this out. And just recently... I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, this content, I'm really nailing it now. <laughs> now it's been it's been 10 years of that. I've done that to myself 20 yeah. times. And so you can see the advantage is like, yeah, you you're comparing yourself to everybody else. And so you're in your head, you're like, well, I suck and no one cares. Maybe <laughs> that's true. It doesn't matter as long if you keep going, because that's the only way you're gonna get better at it.
0: I love it. I suck and no one cares. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like just embrace that and that like yeah. let that be freedom. Like, I suck at no one cares, good. Then I could just go and, and practice this. And if I don't think anyone's listening, what's the risk? And then suddenly, you'll notice maybe there's 10 people listening and then maybe 100. And like, I'm, I'm saying listening, but like maybe, you know, you want to go with, if we're talking about content marketing, don't try and force yourself into something that you don't n- love. Like, I discovered I, I suppose I have a knack for extemporaneous speaking. And I, I was an intern one summer in a, a studio, a recording studio. And so I had a little bit, like I had some knowledge about recording and microphones. And so I'm like, all right, that I have though, there's some unfair advantages there. That's what I'm going to go with. And, but like, I never loved writing. Maybe you do. Now's your chance, right? You could commit to, I'm going to write a weekly newsletter. I'm going to write a daily newsletter. I'm going to post a blog post twice a week. Well, if you post a blog post twice a week, at the end of a year, you have a hundred blog posts, Right. And if you have 100 blog posts, you have built just doing a thing you probably enjoy. Now you have really a tremendous SEO uh, advantage there over people who hadn't been doing that a year ago. And so now you've got this all this traffic coming into your website. If it's on topic, it's qualified traffic. And as you're getting better at that over time, and now you've built this library, ah, maybe you could turn that into... Um, you could package that up. That could become a manual. Maybe you could... Uh, start reading those as voiceovers for YouTube videos. Like if you watch a lot of niche YouTube videos, they're really, it's a guy doing a voiceover, just like reading a blog article that he'd probably already written and then, you know, no. adding B-roll behind it. So yeah, some, yeah, yeah. like you get that content, that one piece of content you're good at and then when you're comfortable with it after, you know, that six months, now you could start repurposing that into other things. And you have this input where, you know, like, Well, this is what resonates with people. So I've got the overlap of what I'm good at, what I can write, what resonates with people. Okay, now can I repurpose that in other forms? And can I expand on that? And ah, now like you're really into that marketing flywheel. And as long as you can keep that momentum going, you know, you wanna balance, like not burn yourself out. And, you know, at some point you could start outsourcing some of the stuff, but you build from the outside looking in. You know, people will not have noticed you for the first year you were doing that. But once you're doing all this stuff, they're like, wow, people go, oh, you're everywhere. How do you do it? Well, it's because it's not that I'm everywhere. It's that I've just been adding a little bit, you know, once every few days for 10 years. And so at this point, it's like, well, if you start Googling around Shopify, you just, it'll be just a matter of time until you're going to come across something I did. Yeah. The best is when you I Google something and then I found... I Google, I'm looking for an answer to something, Google it, and then find my own content. That's where you're <laughs> like, you know, it's, it was several years before that started happening, but then you're like, oh, okay, there's something here to this content marketing.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. So uh, about consistency, Kurt, I want to ask you something about consistency when it comes to e-commerce uh, entrepreneurs. As you know, I'm obsessed with this uh, customer centricity, focus on your customers, the flywheel based on over delivering to your customers as old well as the trade itself. I want to ask you about how can you be consistent to your customers? So basically to pay attention to them, because last time we, we talked when, if you remember, you've told us about this, uh, this phone app, you know, phone.
1: A- my, what's my favorite customer research app, phone.app, right? That's the exactly one you got to right. talk to. Your, you have to talk to your people. You have to talk to your customers. And I think that's, That's the thing that people don't want to do that they miss. It's the thing that's easy when you've got like there's orders to pick and pack. You know, there's there's things to be done, taxes to file, whatever. It's easy to move the things that are like working on your business versus working in your business. It's easy to put the working on things at the bottom and just talking to customers. It's the easiest thing in the world, right? But it's the thing we put off. You, they're the ones who buy from you. I'm in an enviable position. I can interview people. So I could do these like one hour in-depth phone calls with people in which I pick their brain and that turns into content, but I'm still, I'm talking to my audience or I'm learning something new. Um, but, or like client discovery calls and client meetings, I'm talking to my customers. Every business should be doing that. Every business owner should be doing that. You know, um, every so often you see like Harley Finkelstein, the the president of Shopify will turn around and he'll do phone support. And it's so he could talk to the customers. And when they're like, when they're really struggling, they're at their worst moment. You know, like we've got, uh, we've got Shopify apps. If somebody has an issue, I, I have their phone number. I'll call them up. I'll be like, Hey, it, it, you know, it's Kurt with the app. I, I saw you had an issue. Let me help. And almost no, no one answers their phone, right? How could they? Because of spam. And so mostly it's just like leaving a voicemail and I hope they appreciate the effort. But occasionally, they call back or answer. And those people are always thrilled. Always. Like, even if they were so mad when they initially reached out, the fact that they were heard, that I engaged with them one-on-one, to be like, that shows you care. Yeah. And so maybe that turns into word of mouth. Maybe that person refers to you to some other people. But you start to, you know, it creates an image in your head of, like, this is my customer. Because when you started your business, especially if it's e-commerce, for 9 out of 10 people, their image of their customer, their D of their customer, they're paying the problem. It's them. It came from their own life. And that's fine, but it's going to evolve over time, right? And the other issue is your customers probably don't talk about your product in the same terms or the same way you do. And so you need to know that language and you need to understand how does my customer see themselves and what advantage do they see they get out of my product? Why are they buying it? What is the benefit there?
0: Yeah, i want to ask you something kurt which is uh, which is uh, related to the uh, questions that you're asking your customers tell us about some questions because basically you have you can pick up the phone you can call them you can do this type of in-depth uh, in-depth uh, uh, interviews let's say but you can also survey them you can also ask them yeah. some things which are uh, relevant for them and of course you can do this ongoing i mean you can trigger an uh, Uh, A question on the thank you page so that you can find out some things. Let us know some questions that you think are vital to to ask your customers in order to, uh, let's say, optimize your business further. Sure. So I think, you know,
1: the common one we hear a lot about now is where did you hear about us? And the, you know, the reason for that is we're obsessed with uh, attribution marketing, with data-driven decision-making. But our attribution tools are, are, questionable or flawed. You know, they give you an no idea. But you want to uncover, I want to know from the person who bought where they think they heard about me. Now the reality may be like the final click was a Facebook remarketing ad, but I want to know in their head what was the one that like stuck out that made the impact. And it might be like just today I Googled uh earbuds and I found a YouTube video. And the YouTube video, the like, guy was like I reviewed all these and these are the ones I like. And so I clicked on the the Uh, his affiliate links and in that they're going to say like oh well it was this you know affiliate program that's how they're going to see the attribution but the reality is if they ask me it's like this specific youtuber i trusted and so maybe they should be reaching out to them you know and saying hey like you know can we send you some new product can you do reviews for us so there's a, a big ad- that's the big advantage in asking how did you hear about us is uncovering your potential Obviously. influencer relationships, um, but the customer themselves, I if you ask them like would people try and build profiles they go with demographics it's is not that useful you know my age that's really like, it'll be like well you know what's your age gender location that kind of thing
0: that's not that helpful I want to know do you remember. <laughs> ASL PLS from yeah. uh, back in the days.
1: But what's yeah. PLS? or ASL? Uh, please. Oh, please. Right. Age all sex right. Lo-
0: location. Yeah, age, sex please, location. Yeah.
1: ASL question somewhere? Yeah. AOL yeah. A- 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 well chat rooms. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um
0: We're the... all <laughs> but it doesn't matter. That's what you're stating, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter the age.
1: Yeah, that stuff didn't matter because it's like it's just it's trivial. What I want to know is if you recommended our, like, hey, have you recommended our product to anybody? Yes, no. If they have, that's a great sign. Would you recommend it to a friend? I mean, if not nine out of 10 people say yes. All right, right, we're this is a great customer experience. And all right, where, if we disappeared today, would you be disappointed? That's another good one. I want to know, like, how sticky is our product? How yeah. unique is it? Right, how vital, yeah. Yeah, if we disappeared today, where, who else would you buy from? Those are your real competitors. You know, it may not be something one-to-one. It may be something like alternative or adjacent. And so that's why I like to phrase it. Not like, who do we compete with? Not, if we disappeared today, are you buying some, from someone else? Um, and, all right, if you did recommend our product, to what kind of person would you recommend it? Oh, the advantage of this question is now I've worked around that ASL thing. You know, I'm not, because if you go well, like, hey, Kurt, Describe yourself. Oh, I'm a dad. I live in the suburbs. I'm 40. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that useful to me. To what kind of person would you recommend a Shure SM7B microphone that you have? Oh, I love it. I'd recommend it to other podcasters because it rejects no... Ah, when you make it that third person question, they're really going to describe their own reasons, but it's a much easier way to go about it, to have someone, you know, when you, you put them in that third person, you'll get a more honest, more relatable answer. Um, and then you go well, like, and then the, the final one, is once you've got, they've described who they'd recommend it to. Uh, well, what kind of advantage would they get from it? Why would you recommend it to them? And there yeah. you get, that's the buying reason. And so, okay, if I've got that, and maybe I do the interview in Zoom, I could do it face to face, which is a real advantage. And now I can record it in Zoom and I've got a transcript. Well, I could dump that in GPT and be like, okay, you know, summarize this. And then I can ask a question. like, hey, why did they say they buy? Um, and now I could do the identical thing I can export all my product reviews from my store put those at GPT, ask the same answers And so pretty quickly you develop a much better customer persona and ideally I could take all that info and now I could change my positioning statement and so I know like we're selling to this person with this pain this is how they perceive the solution this is the advantage to the solution why they're not going with other ones like you get a really complete picture on your positioning. And so I can use that to then start writing headlines. I could start writing my copy based on that. Yep. I can feed that like, here's the person, here's the pain, here's the problem, here's the competitive advantage, here's our solution. I could give that to ChatGPT and now I can give it a copywriting outline. I said, you know this about the product, now follow this outline. And it. I think that's the... When you're new to copywriting, that's the thing people don't realize. They think like, "Oh, real writers and copywriters must always write from scratch. They got that blank notepad." It's not true. You know, they're they're almost always going to work from an outline, a template, a formula. You can find those online. There's tons of them. It's like you know, pain, uh, agitate, problem, um, attract, uh, inform, describe. You know that those various copywriting formulas. Copyhackers.com has a lot of those formulas. Um, yeah. but you could give it like yeah. as an outline with examples to chat GPT, and then it does a really good job of writing it.
0: yeah. and another another thing that uh, uh, now, now that you've started me, we're we're always also about to deploy our our solution to do this clustering of the issues because now, if you are a small company that makes total sense, but when you have thousands of responses, so let's say you you get a lot of data. And if you cluster this type of data, for instance, you have, the main issues of the customers from this city or the main issues of the customers from the buying this brand or from this category. And once you know that, you know, what we are doing right now is doing this uh, NLP sentiment analysis based on the open answers. And you can see, you can track the main issues, like you have delayed uh, shipments or you have destroyed packages or you have the wrong size. And how are those, when you have, when you are a larger company, how are those varying? Because if you are not fixing those, you will be getting into your marketing game throwing money to acquire customers that will never come back because you're not preventing their churn and fixing what's uh, wh- what's broken and and that's where ai is going to 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 come into place we've seen uh, a lot of impact on the companies from from our beta and we we're about to release it to to in public in, in the summer
1: that's really cool yeah you said nlp natural language processing it sounds like yeah. you're doing sentiment analysis yeah. which yeah, we've had that stuff before the advantage now to these new ai tools is it could do a it's much more accurate but more importantly instead of just the sentiment analysis it could straight up be like these are the specific issues that are occurring
0: yeah, yeah. it it allows you to actually understand what's going on and as you've said uh, kurt this if you're not tracking for instance the top three issues that your customers have let's say you have hundreds or thousands or whatever how many customers do you have if you're a c-level exec and you have this type of issues you might be biased because what what the execs are doing they are doing do, to do this type of uh, mystery shopping and they don't go into a store or they buy their products online and they see this type of issue and then they make everyone they make such a big noise about let's fix that but maybe that's just an issue is like fixing uh, uh, something like a, a, a door handle in the dorm room, but you have your kitchen on fire and you, you don't have this type of overview about what's going on, what's wrong in your in your business we, without this type of, of approach. And that's why you need a large enough sample size and to constantly monitor. Gone are the days when you were doing this type of one off customer research that your research company you paid a lot of money and then this is a, this quarter overview of the customer experience i think everything is so accelerated the competition is so big right now and you have so many options as a as a customer it's not like you can't find the freaking phone you have thousands of stores that are fighting for you to to buy the store from them but why would you buy it from this particular store? And that has a lot to do with the customer experience as a point of difference.
1: The That's the, yes, since 2020, one of the the things that has made that has changed about e-commerce is consumers have adopted it rapidly, but in doing so they have become much more discerning. They have become more sophisticated. And so the table stakes have been raised Mm. on what constitutes a good experience. Like I, I need to be able to and people understand what dropshipping is now too. And so I need to be able to communicate to people like yeah, we're going to we're going to deliver an experience that is on par with Amazon. Like you're going to place your order, you'll get it quickly, and if there's a problem, we're going to resolve it. And so you've got to preempt all those issues, you got to answer these questions, and you have to be honest in the process, right? The you know, people see through um some of this influencer UGC content. They understand that this stuff is compensated. They understand um, that reviews get moderated now. Many people don't trust reviews. And so that barrier to earning customers' trust has only gone up. I mean, you really need to put in a lot of effort to demonstrate professionalism for people to take a risk on you.
0: That's right. I think it's it's also an important uh, aspect to... Uh, to touch Kurt is the the fact that the uh, the benchmark is. All, only going up, like you've mentioned. It's not like your job is going to be easier in the e-commerce, online retail space. It's going to be harder and harder. And that's why I think we have this uh, convergence, right? We, we will see some some companies simply vanishing because e-commerce is not uh, is not as sexy as it used to be. I mean, we, we don't have this fluid of uh, uh, demand. There are the same eyeballs. And the big guys are waking up to this reality. They, they set up these uh, targets like uh, we want... Uh, Twenty percent, 30 percent. We have a, a very large grocery retailer here in Europe. They, their their focus is to have forty percent of their revenue coming from digital channels by twenty thirty, and they are they have a lot of money to 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 invest into that. You know, I mean, they are not as agile as the the the, the startups and the direct to consumer companies, but they do have a lot of money and they can hire talent. So I think it's uh, it's mandatory for e-commerce uh, companies to become customer centric. So to not leave it to chance that those customers are happy and they will come back or they will become brand evangelists. This type of post purchase is becoming the main thing is not only acquisition. Now it's acquisition and retention. And of course those are not uh, 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 different, right? It's part of the same customer journey. No, you're
1: right. The If you're, just selling to someone and that's it we get this the purchase is successful everybody's happy and your business is successful that's fine but your business is functionally not particularly different than a vending machine at that point and the issue with being that vending machine is okay well amazon is just a better vending machine than you no matter what it's very difficult to compete with that and so you have to have that post-purchase experience that like what is unboxing this look like you know what do i get what is post support look like it, that what are those touch points that experience is what differentiates you from everybody else that's what separates you and that's how you create an emotional connection that's going to have people seek you out and purchase again
0: that's a good point yeah i uh, i also want to touch on something kurt which is uh, which is about acquisition for the sake of uh, generating orders and acquisition for the sake of generating loyal customers. We, because, because I think it's a, it's a different game. You know? If you are order-centric, if you are looking at ROAS, or if you are looking only at the, the first purchase, you, you might shoot in the dark right now because you might, you might aim for an ROAS of X or Y, but those might not be possible anymore. And that's why you need to look further than that. And, I think the process of acquiring uh, uh, customers, first-time customers, should be changed because if you think about it, we we are coming from an uh, from from a mindset where we have a process which we are not optimizing. It's about throwing money on ads, having customers, shipping the products, rinse and repeat. But this process should be becoming way more uh, sophisticated, m- way more complex because you have acquisition, and then you have onboarding and then you have prevention and then you have reactivation loyalty referral so basically is it, this journey what i've seen that is happening on mid size and even large companies is that we have these silos you know we have the acquisition ppc team and then we have the email retention team and then we have the social media team but the customers are they don't care about your teams they don't they do care about their uh, issues, their pains, their desires, their aspirations, their struggles, and if you don't, let's say, have this internal alignment, and if you are not using customer research to 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 have like this journey, then you will simply acquire customers. And I want to hear your take on where the acquisition marketing is going. Do you think it's going to be in the future this type of? Because it, it, my perception is that it, it's a problem with the org chart, you know. Pure and simple, you have incentives which are disconnected from the customer's success. The customer wants to be happy and whatever, and the ROS team has 2x, 3x, 4x. The email team has open rates and other shallow metrics, and then the social media has engagement and other stuff. But where do you think this is going? I think when I in the past,
1: yeah, you know, people were fine with the idea of if we can acquire a customer at breakeven, that's good enough because we'll make it up on a subsequent sale. That was always the hope. And that was fine. It was perhaps dangerous thinking, but it was also driven by low interest rates, right? I think that was a big part of it. You know, 0% interest rates yeah. made it easy. It was cheap to borrow money. And so when you could borrow money and then spend it to acquire a customer and it didn't cost you anything. Like it was break even. But realistically, if you dove into the numbers, if you're at breakeven, the chances are you're actually probably losing money. You know, that's where a, a metric like um, MERS marketing efficiency ratio yep. uh, could be beneficial to try and reveal some of that. Um, but today, you know, now money is more expensive to borrow. We've got our interest rates are, um, highest they've been in I think 2015 or earlier uh, yep. you know about 10 years and so with that people are much less interested in losing money on a first customer they're much less interested in breaking even you know, they don't want those transactional vending machine businesses they want a at least somewhat profitable initial acquisition and that's where like everything's got to be dialed in and work well. And we see a lot of like, let's try and drive more value up front. Let's try, and in doing so, you know, make a more compelling offer and increase average order value. So you know, three years ago, the focus was like conversion rate, conversion rate. Now the focus tends to be average order value. Um, return on ad spend, still a tough metric to track. And to your point earlier, you said like, hey, the, the big boys, they started to take notice and started to get in on performance marketing a few years ago. I think that was the beginning of the end for the um, for Roaz uh, efficiency, right We had um, everyone wants to blame iOS 17, and certainly that huge, but it was like just before then is where you saw big players like you know someone like BMW goes, all right, we could plant the seed now because maybe the person will make a purchase from us on their first car in 10 years. Well, when you can think in a timeline like that, with budgets like that, how's a small business supposed to compete with that? You know, And they've got access to the same tools and better that we do. Oh, geez. Um, and so the focus now, it's gotten a little, seems to be moving more grassroots, seems to be moving toward like, all right, this is all got to work so we can acquire that customer and not lose money, that initial customer, not lose money in the process. As so I think the focus has been on like, just average order value is the metric. Cross sells, yeah. you know, more a lot of traditional stuff.
0: Yeah, what's your take, um, uh, Kurt, on 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 things like uh, customer acquisition cost, payback time, on lifetime value, CAC to CLV ratio? Because these budgets should be calibrated, as you've said earlier, the interest rate, rates are not as they used to be, and that means. You, you can't wait for one year for the customer to come back and to buy again because you will run out of cash. So basically it's you, 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 you need to take into account this type of unit economics before making some uh, uh, acquisition de- decisions and uh, spending budget uh, just with, with pure hopes. Trying to figure out future
1: behaviors is difficult and it, fraught with inaccuracy and so I think yep. step one there is if you've got one of a model to predict life customer lifetime value if you have a model to predict um, next purchase date, give it data that ends at least a year ago have it predict and then see all right since we have that data that it's missing from the previous year, does it predict correctly see how far off it is first. Um, yep. And oftentimes, these things are quite accurate, and occasionally, uh, it turns out the data was very right, wrong. So I felt like that's my first caveat that I learned in um, the last couple of years with those predictions, um, those algorithms. The other, well, all right, so totally not answering your question and switching gears a little bit, but similar topic. Uh, price optimization. That's the thing that I think people should start doing that they aren't doing, um, and it, it's just not that tough right? If I could figure out conversion rate on a product at three to five different price points, just using landing pages um, and ads, I could plug that into a a standard economics formula uh, to figure it's called price elasticity, price elasticity curve. I could use that to figure out my actual ideal price point where I'm going to optimize price to conversion rate. And once I have that, ah, now that's, I've optimized for price versus conversion rate. Okay. Now I could confidently start trying to predict these other things like customer lifetime value, next purchase date, and then use that um, to figure out this is a reasonable ad spend. This is a reasonable return on uh, ad spend.
0: Yeah, love it, Kurt. I wanna I wanna ask you something regarding the uh, the the future of uh, uh, e-commerce, taking into account this wave of uh, of AI. How how do you see it? Do you see it unfolding? Uh, uh, do you think these things will uh, completely be transformative, or do you think uh, we will? Uh, it's just buzz, and things will catch up, but in the not in the near future. I think all
1: of our tools are getting smarter very quickly. Everything, you know, the and the result of that is the people who master those tools are more productive and the quality of their output goes up significantly and you can increase the quantity of the output. But I think that's, that's the mistake. That's not the way to look at it. Look at it as a way to like, I can make the same thing I'm doing now, but 20% better in 30% less time. That's the advantage of these tools is we are going to get way more efficient at marketing. Um, and running, running business and customer service at the same time. These tools cannot replace. Generative AI tools cannot replace you know creativity. They can't replace your vision. They're not great at thinking. They're great at analysis and pattern recognition. Um, yep. they're, they're incredible. And, but it's, I think that's where people are getting tripped up is they're like you know worried about this thinking machine. Is this gonna like take over and make poor decisions. It's so reliant on you. I would just view it as like you hey, you were using a screwdriver before. Now I've given you a power drill and oh the yep. next version is the power drill is going to like line up, pick the right bit, tell me the right bit and you know set it up for me. But I still got to know where to drill the hole. I still got to put the picture of the right place on the wall. Yeah. I could just do it faster, better, more accurately and with fewer mistakes.
0: All right, got it. I mean, I'm I'm with you on this. What what we don't know is this type of uh, the, the this time, you know, because it's uh, we don't know the 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 speed of this type of developments. And for for instance, I I've noticed uh, that my own uh, writing has been improved thanks to ChatGPT. Because it's uh, it, it's it's allowing me, for instance, to essentialize. I wrote uh, I wrote a book, by the way. We'll release it in twenty uh, in in this in September. I'll send you a copy your way. And oh, I, I wanted to do I, I wanted to do this type of uh, what have I wrote? You know, if I if I want to to, to build some video scripts about these uh, 15 chapters. What have I wrote? I mean, what's essential there? Because anyways, it took me 16 months and I wrote it manually because it was pre-GPT4 and whatever. But it was so good at coming up with free insights from each of those chapters and t- and writing me some scripts that I've just fine- fine-tuned, you know, I've tweaked them a bit and they were, yeah, these are good. Let's Let's film them. You know, it's 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 so easy right now to to use this type this type of tools. And I think the technology will will get better. But as you've said, the the ignition, you know, the the intention is still going to be based on your knowledge. And if you are the operator, and you are garbage in, garbage out, right? It's is it, the same thing.
1: I have long. Uh live life by the, the garbage-in-garbage-out rule. Like, I, my space has got to be organized. My mind has to be clear. You know, I, I need good sleep. garbage-in, garbage-out, the quality of the output is based on the quality of the input. Um, but, like, tying it all back together, at the, the top of the show, we talked about, you, know, you talked about that marketing flywheel and content marketing. And I talked about, like, be consistent, um, but then start repurposing content. And that's what you did. And then I said, hey, like, go with what you're good at. Well, you're good at writing. You're good at thinking high level. And so you produced the this book. But yeah. once you had the book, ah, now like, how do I turn that into videos? How do I turn that into other content? Well, you've got good input. And so you could feed that into Chat GPT. And it it just works as like a great um writing partner, as a great sidekick, as a great copy editor where you can go, you like you could test your intent. You go like, okay, what summarize this? Well, if the summary comes back where you're like, it it doesn't make sense, it didn't get it ah, now I got to go back and maybe I should rewrite this to be clear. Or, you know, you could ask it pointed questions. Or sometimes it's fun to tell it. You're like, this is what I'm trying to do. Ask me five questions to help you understand what I'm trying to do. And then, (laughs) like, have it interview you because, like, it's not that, you know, it's not great at thinking, but you are, right? And so if you have it ask you those five questions, ah, often that's enough to, like, get you unstuck on a problem. Or you just tell, like, you know, I'm start. I'm struggling with this. You know, ask me five questions to help get me unstuck. It, it's great at it. It's just great.
0: Yeah. Uh, what I think is doing to the to to the world right now. I mean, many of us are waking up to this power that we have. I mean, we've 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 changed our focus. We've we are throwing this NLP into our products. People are 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 really excited about this. The the first. The first signs are amazing about doing this type of sentiment analysis, extracting topics and whatever. But what I've also seen, and I want to run this by uh, with you, Curtis, you we have we are coming from a data perspective from a descriptive model. So basically, we looked at what happened in the past, all the BI tools, Google Analytics, what was going on. And if you were smart enough, you could get it, you know. Now, we are getting, as you've said based on the algorithm that you're using based on how clean is your data we are getting into this predictive era so from descriptive we're getting to the predictive and we can see the future. I mean, hey, we have this uh, trend, the uh, summer is here, the sales for bikinis are up, and this brand is the one that you should be focusing on, by the way, because there are this amount of searches in Google Trends, and you are, were smart enough to to plug an API and to see the trends, and then to, to decide what kind of products you should be acquiring and putting to market. And that's based on... Leveraging this type of predictive analytics, but what I'm also seeing that is happening in the future is this prescriptive analytics, where basically it's not about that's going on or those are some opportunities. Like do this because I don't know in Argentina the sales are 20% down because you have this return rate on these SKUs, and that that that's fix that. It's a it's about. Making decisions, thanks to the AI, and I think that's that's not so far from, from us. You know, I mean, there were some articles that the job of the CEO is going to be replaced by 2050. You know, that basically the brain of the CEO is going to be way uh, uh, be uh, way, way way less advanced than is the uh, the uh, an AI that could crunch tons of data. You know, you you, you throw all the customer data, trends, whatever, tons of data sources, and then make decision for this company to optimize for, for this metric. What's your take on this?
1: I, I think you're 100% right. I mean, currently I can get it to make, it, it, it could make predictions, but what's the accuracy of those? Can I trust them? Because we know the AI is prone to uh, what they call Where? To hallucinations. Yeah. You know, where it's yeah. essentially because it's based on pattern recognition and less on like actual thought, you know, it's going to output what it thinks sounds right. It's like this is most likely to be correct, but it has trouble distinguishing between what is it is not fact. And so if you're not a subject matter expert, you're not an authority, it's hard to tell the difference. You know, you don't yeah. know, um, you know, like that, that case recently of a lawyer who submitted case law that chat GPT wrote that didn't exist, but it was so pitch perfect. He didn't catch it um the that's kind of funny you know as soon as you can get past that that hallucination problem well immediately that opens up the door to uh predictive analytics coming from ai where it can make you know great reliable suggestions to you i i think we're almost there it's just can you solve for this and i think you know that's months to a few years away
0: yeah and it's also this uh, this convergence. We've seen this acquisition from Databricks, which uh, uh, we, which basically is building a non-relational database, which doesn't take into account any kind of uh, tables, right? So everything is vectorial. So mainly you can we can we can throw thousands of variables at at this new type of uh, of database and the outcome is going to statistically to be statistically significant so i think it's the, the this type of path is already there the question is how can we leverage this and how can we make that make sure that we are still relevant and i think that's that's a that, that's a thing that we should be all asking ourselves uh, uh, regarding the the value that we we could uh, deliver further, you know? And even if it's about delivering value to our customers, even if it's uh, uh, about getting yourself updated, because I think it's uh, the humanity needs to, to have this update from, I don't know, Windows 95 to whatever is going to happen in the future, because the 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 we've got the digital and analog world, and now we have the digital and AI literate world.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those things where like, it's not going away. You know, like web three people would argue about like, oh, crypto blockchain. In those situations, we didn't have practical use cases yet. Yeah. With chat GPT, you know, if you watch these tools proliferating, you know, there's dozens of new AI tools get launched daily. And so, but they're all coming from that core concept of, you know, chat GPT or BARD. And I think you're, you are putting yourself at a disadvantage if you don't expose yourself to those tools and try and and play with them and get a feel for them. That's that's all I did. But six months ago, I was like, well, this seems cool. You know, and and start playing with it. And I know I've mastered the tool when I break it. You know, when I buy a tool for my garage, I buy the cheapest one first. And if I break it, I'm going to buy the good one. With (laughs) ChatGPT, when I've managed to get it to like, you know, error generating response, you've hit the limit, it starts forgetting stuff. I'm like, all right. Now I'm really mastering this thing because I'm running up against its limitations. I'm breaking it. Um, yeah. And that that took me several months before I really like mastered that. But when I did, you know, I, just the the quality of what I'm able to do is great. and I use it, I use it for all kinds of stuff now. like i I bought a PlayStation five. I've got it right in walkthroughs for games for me, right? I just <laughs> I have it do all kinds of stuff and it because it's so much more efficient, right? Like I just I have more free time. To do the things I love because I've been able to master this tool. But it it's working in my business. You know, my my personal, my life is, is less stressed because I can work with this tool because it has given me this productivity advantage. And it's not an expensive tool. It starts at free. And so like anybody could start playing with it and start using it today in their business. And what I love about it is it's essentially no code. And if you do have to write code, you can ask the thing to write it for you. Um, that in an online business in an e-commerce world, huge advantage there. Like I don't know how to write Python, but I do have to work with a ton of data. I have ChatGPT write Python scripts for me to handle data migration and spreadsheets. Do you know what yeah. a freeing superpower that is. Either I'd have to learn Python or fight with it or find an existing script. I mean, it's like hours and hours of time saved, you know, every week because of this thing. That. Yeah. If you just think of like effective hourly rate in a service business,
0: it goes through the roof. That's right. Kurt, I wanna ask you the, uh, we, we, we're coming to the end of this show. So I wanna ask you, if you are to to give free advice, free, free tips for uh, companies and uh, e-commerce leaders, which are after, and retail leaders as well, which are after improving, their uh, customer lifetime value and customer experience. What what would those be? Oh, I mean, the holy trinity of the tips coming from Kurt Elster himself.
1: All right. As a conversion rate optimization specialist, I'm going to tell you to stop looking at conversion rate itself for at least the rest of the year. 2023 should be the year of profitability for you. It has been for big tech companies. Um, I think Zuckerberg kicked that off and then we saw a lot of copycat behavior. but why not you? You know why can't you do that too? Um, and I think you know our obsession with pure conversion rate led to a race to the bottom where we gave up our profits in exchange for acquiring customers. So when you start looking at profit now that con- if we're looking at conversion rate, it needs to be in service to that. So it needs to be conversion rate relative to, our average order value, our product price point, and optimizing for that and optimizing for revenue by looking at, you know, by making average order value or revenue per session our North Star within our yeah. business. And cash is king, man, for everybody. When you focus on revenue and profitability, that enables cash flow. That's power. That's how you grow a business. That's how you get an advantage. Because we're not going to be at high interest rates forever, but the businesses that were able to spend through that period and bank cash are going to come out and recover so far faster than the other businesses that just went like, "All right, well, we're just going to tread water until interest rates drop again, and we could borrow money." You know, you will have the advantage by being lean, profit-focused, data-driven, um, and not sacrificing profit to the altar of conversion rate.
0: Excellent. So, Kurt, uh, is there any last tip of uh, type of advice that you want to give to our audience today? So basically, we have retail leaders, we have agency people, we have people which are into customer centricity, giving more value to their customers, of course, to get more value through, from their customers because we are not uh, at uh, uh, a charity podcast here. Everyone, I think... The anxiety
1: and the fear around AI is, will it replace me? Will I lose my job? Will I have a purpose in the new world? And the two things that you could do to hedge against that is, one, master the tool, use it, use AI tools where you can. um, And when you discover their limitations, you will be less fearful. When you master the tools, you will be less fearful, and you'll have a big advantage there. And secondarily, uh, engage in human acts that the AI can't replace talk to your customers face-to-face, reach out to people, tell your customers that's your power, that's your audience, that's who enables you. Tell them you appreciate them, ask them what you can do for them, you know, connect with them. That's, that's where the power is.
0: Be of service. Perfect. Kurt, thanks a lot, man, for being part of the CVO Live show. And uh, for everyone out there, see you at the next episode.